Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Samwise Yaboinski podcast. I'm so glad to be here with everybody, with Samuel and with a very special guest. How are you today, Samuel? I'm fantastic. I'm really happy. I saw some whales the other day in the Boston Harbor, and I'm still feeling that warm glow from seeing whales. I'm good. And my very favorite thing of the last couple of weeks is witnessing Samuel's ability to work in these whales <laughs> into every single cup. You should tell them about the smell first because it's fascinating. And then yeah. we'll welcome our wonderful guests. So when whales spout, uh, their breath can drift over the boat and you smell the whale's breath. And it's a quite extraordinary thing. And it smells like drains. It's not an, it's not a pleasant smell, but it's strangely <laughs> intimate that, that, that these huge beasts heaving under the surface of the water, you, you get to smell their breath. It's strangely intimate. And I, I, I was that I was very touched by that. I've only ever seen whales at a distance and the only official whale because I spend a fair bit of time on the water. Um, so I've sort of stumbled into some whales. But the one time where that was the goal, I was with my grand, my mother's parents who were very Midwesterners and and really begrudging and sort of grumpy by nature and uh, not a single whale. It was like the only day and they were just grumpier and grumpier know. as the no whales sort of racked up the big <laughs> oh, <no>. zero. <laughs> just, so I remember only the look on my grandmother's face. Anyway, well. We are so grateful um, to have with us Priscilla Cobb. Welcome, Priscilla. So glad you're here. Welcome, Priscilla. Thank you. Great to be here. And Priscilla is one of my favorite kind of leaders and volunteers who work so hard at the church doing so many different things. So right now, Priscilla's on the board, which is great. And then also has been a huge part of our social action committee really spearheading, especially over the last couple of years, the you, the vote work that we've been doing along with a wonderful team of lots of other folks too, and also helping and, and really being the glue that holds together the 11th, 11th hour um, gatherings that we've been having at 11 o'clock on the 11th day of the month. And so we'll talk about all of that as, as this all sort of flows, but um, yeah, first, like we've, with everybody sort of just tell the story a little bit about how you how you came to First Church and to Unitarian Universalism. So where did it all start? Well, first, I just want to say to Sam that um, I've also had the amazing experience of seeing whales in Boston Harbor. Mm-hmm. And my sister and I and some friends have become and started an annual tradition of going out in May, usually on a full moon. And it's just so magical and it feels mm. like entering another world. And mm. uh, so, but I hadn't heard that about the smell of their um, spray. So that's wonderful. And yeah. uh, I also just, it's, I, it's always feels miraculous to me and just so wonderful. It felt miraculous to me. Sorry to interrupt you, but but I, I will just another thing that I learned 
was that some of the oldest whales are up to 200 years old, which which means that Moby Dick could still be alive. Moby Dick could still be out there. Okay. All right. Sorry, Priscilla. Keep, Keep I love it. So I just started reading Moby Dick. We're going to be as part of the community collaborative. A so colleague's good. going to be leading a, a book class and reading Moby Dick together. So he's all excited about it. And apparently Melville was a Unitarian. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. And there's all of these like theological overtones. Anyway, so I'm so your whale moment and this whale moment that we're all sharing is also the same time as I'm reading Moby Dick for the first time. So it's all it's all coming up whales. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Priscilla, back to you. <laughs> right. Back to your origin story. Oh, I grew up in Cambridge, and my first um, school experience was at St. Anne's Nursery School, which was in Cambridge. And the nuns there were Sister Judith and Sister Dorothy and um, Sister Anne, and they were just the most gentle, sweet, lovely um women and big Red Sox fans and just so fun and calm and sweet and so that remains my best school experience ever and as a result the first thing I remember wanting to be was a nun um but I did outgrow that um my parents were not super religious my mother probably more wanted enjoyed the tradition of going to church. So for a while, we did that at the Christ Church right in Harvard Square um, that has the bullet hole in it. Um, And that was, I should remember the name of the pastor, but I can't. Um, Anyway, so we were occasional, for a while we went there. And and I did really like it. I liked the, um, the music and the and the ritual of it and my little sister and I used to have church services for our stuffed animals sometimes <laughs> on Sunday afternoons. so there was some level that we really connected apparently um and my older sister that would bring her transistor radio and have her earphones in the whole time listening to rock and roll music nice <laughs> during the church service anyway then I sort of I got away from that, um, became a rebellious teenager, and then in college became involved in uh, Marxist studies and sort of away from religion, viewing religion more as a negative thing, um, Yeah, more of the opiate of the people kind of um, um, analysis. So, And where, um, did you, had you left, uh, left the area to go to college or? Well, I went to Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts, which, right, which would have been like a whole world both, away. Yeah, right. Um, my husband and I met there um, freshman year. We were on the same hall in the same dorm. That's adorable. And, um, I didn't know that was, you met there. Wow. Yeah, um, we weren't together the whole time between right. then and we married. But anyway, we... Um, but the college was then only two or three years old. So it was a very new, exciting place to be. And you could take courses at all five colleges and they had a free bus that went around. And wow. anyway, it was great and a beautiful area. But um, there were at that time a lot of 
economics professors who'd gotten kicked out of Harvard for being too radical and had sort of nice. set up this um, very Marxist economics department at UMass Amherst. And um, anyway, Dan and I both took courses there and wow. uh, as well as courses on international development and Cuba and a lot of things from, from Hampshire's professors too. Wow. Um, anyway, that sort of turned me against religion for a while, but um but later, um, I guess that I, I don't know, my grandmother had was a Unitarian. She'd gone to King's Chapel. Um, okay. She was probably mm-hmm. the most consistently religious person. Um, and she was very close with her minister. And she also did a lot of, um, she made sandwiches for the local um, soup kitchen and if through her church, I could see that she did was involved in a lot of kind of community things. Um, yeah. And I went to church with her um, from time to time. And our ancestors through her, one of them was a um, Ichabod Nichols was a min- Unitarian minister in Portland, Maine. Wow! So I felt some kind of connection to um, more to Unitarianism than I hadn't liked Episcopalianism as much. So Unitarianism seemed like there was some family connection. So when we moved to Belmont in 1994, um, and I married Dan, who was Jewish, um, but not interested in in organized religion. Um, So I was kind of on my own. And I felt like I wanted my kids to learn about all different religions. And I thought Unitarianism would be a good way to do that. So we started coming to the Unitarian church when they were probably five and seven or something. And then they got into the um, musicals and. um, Oh, sorry, Priscilla. Priscilla, you just cut out for a second there. Can you can you say again? What do you. You discovered the musicals. Can you say that again? Oh, Just yes. you cut so out we came to the church and the kids enjoyed the music a lot, but mm. found Alpha a little bit terrifying. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, but my younger one stuck with it um, for longer. Um, and they did go to the um, Sunday school and I was on the RE committee and taught Sunday school for a while. And um Anyway, I just liked Victor Carpenter was then the minister. I liked him a lot. I liked his commitment to social action. And I really liked his sermons very much. And um, it just felt like a very welcoming and happy place with a lot going on. Um, And I was involved in Santa's workshop, which I really loved, which was a tradition where kids would there'd be all kinds of craft supplies right before Christmas and kids would come and make Christmas presents. Um, That's awesome. It was really fun. It was a ton of work. And I think that's why like the rummage sale, it sort of eventually was phased out, but it was, but it was really fun while it lasted anyway. And there just seemed like a lot of cool family things. Um, So anyway, then and then I got involved in the social action committee and stayed involved with that. Um, 
until the present time. I feel like I went in and out of sort of attending services, but always was involved with the social action committee. Um, my kids at age, when they were in around fifth grade, um, they defected from the Unitarian Church and went joined the temple, um, Bethel okay. Temple um, in Belmont also, and um, it sort of dragged Dan there um because to be a parent (laughs) but they had through their cousins and you know had been exposed to the fact that they were learning hebrew and they were getting um bat mitzvah and we would always have um dan's parents were not not that into organized religion but um had wonderful traditions, Jewish traditions, and talked right. a lot about the history and the had a wonderful um, Passover and Sukkah parties. And it was all very, very festive and meaningful. And so I think they kind of were drawn to that. Um, so they both, after going, which I'm you know, it all kind of worked out. I mean, I feel sad that they missed the OWL and the youth group and the coming of age, but they got, I would think, a wonderful foundation through the Sunday school classes um, here. And then they did learn Hebrew and they did do, it's quite a rigorous process to prepare for for bat mitzvah. Um, And it also meant that I learned a lot about the Jewish religion um, that I hadn't known. And so anyway, we all I think enjoyed that, um, and the, and they both are still um, Judaism is a part a big part of both of their lives. Um, wow. Even That's though they, it doesn't necessarily mean they attend a synagogue, but it, anyway, it's, it's parts of it have been very meaningful to them. And they both say they wish they had taken Owl and they wish they had been part of the youth groups at the first church. So <laughs> I think both communities, you know, meant meant a lot to them um, mm. and to us. And now Dan is more enjoying coming to first church with me. And that's been really nice because I always missed having him there. And he just um, sort of left the temple a few years ago. and has really enjoyed coming to first church. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. It's fascinating. Our interreligious families, it, it's, it's, it's quite a thing to figure out, you know, how to have a deep walk with everybody. I mean, I think more than half of our families, probably the interreligious balance is one person's kind of into church and one person's not, but then when you yeah. have two different faiths and two different paths, mm. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating process to figure out, you know, at different times what's what's working. I've, yeah. I really love Judaism. I was just meeting with the rabbi earlier today. They're in the middle of creating a Torah. Did you know this? So they're they just got a new Torah yes. and they're having scribes write out uh, a whole section. Wow. Um, and so we're gonna, they've invited us to have some adult you know, classes come and look at the process and look at oh, the, that is look at the Torah section that they're going to be That's doing. Awesome. But yeah. I want to do, I want to do that. that will be it's great. super fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And we'll work with the scripture part, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, that's, that's a, a fascinating process. Yeah. But yes, it was so interesting. And, and uh, Rabbi Kress offered a class for 
parents and my father took it with me, which I so appreciated and um, was really interested in it too. And I felt like my parents were very um, supportive, even though it wasn't, it wasn't their religion. And um, they were very supportive as were, uh, well, Dan's mother, his father had already died, but um, anyway, but I just want to say one thing I so appreciated about First Church was that everybody, um, I always felt like the kids were welcome to come back whenever they wanted to. And Diane Elliott, who was then the head of religious education and just a wonderful person and friend, um, came to Rose's spot. And that meant mm. so much to me that she was there and supporting mm. Rose and not feeling any kind of, you know, territorialness about oh, yeah, yeah, where yeah. they belonged. and. Um, and the Jewish at that time, the temple had rather strict rules about if you were getting bat mitzvah, you could not be enrolled in anything at another church. I don't know if that's if they still are that way, but um, anyway, that that was I found that difficult, and it was anyway. It felt like a contrast to me that I felt like the Unitarian Church's approach to our situation felt more. Um, welcoming and sensible and um, mm. so that was great and a fun small uu world moment diane elliott who served as the director of religious education at first church also was the first religious educator that i worked for as a volunteer at the arlington street church wow. when i was just i knew i was going to go to seminary and she was, you know, there was a group of seventh and eighth graders and I was already, I was studying the historical Jesus at this point. And I had a wonderful professor, shout out Paula Fredrickson. Hopefully she's still being brilliant. She was wonderful. And I think I had a little bit of a crush on her. So I paid a lot of attention in her <laughs> class. And, and Diane was like, here's a room full of seventh and eighth graders, teach them the Bible. That was all. I didn't get a curriculum. I didn't get, and she just trusted well. me to do it. And and so I remember this one class in particular, I laid out a bunch of newsprint and we did a mural of the book of revelations while I was reading it. And I found like the craziest, most vivid portions. And I was reading it, and the kids were drawing like seven headed dragons. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, it was well. amazing. Well. Uh, but yeah. And then now, you know, a minute later, I'm serving in the place that she had served. So it's very so sweet. So great. Wow. Yeah. Yes. That's cool. So I'm fascinated by the uh, Marxist economics, you know, learning kind of religion is the opiate of the masses, that sort of transition to then having an experience of church be so woven with social justice and social transformation. Mm. And I wonder, was there a point where that began? I mean, you sounded like you kind of came in were involved in the kids program and then started into more social action? Or was that always part of your life? Has that always been part of who, who you are? Well, I guess, I guess that growing up in Cambridge in the sixties and seventies, there was a lot of, um, and among my friends and their parents, you know, there was a lot of talk about all the, all the injustices in the world and the um, inequality of wealth and the, and the um, 
racial violence and um, and the war. And so there were a lot of things that um, among my family and friends that we all talked about. And, and I guess that sort of, for me, it felt like um, that's what I want to work on. You know, I want to work on how do we address these issues. And so I had done a little, I mean, I'd worked in high school for the McGovern campaign. I don't know if you remember, well, I mean, you probably, I don't know, were you guys <laughs> born then? But anyway, 1970. I'm, uh, 1976 for a shock. Okay. So, 19... so I recall it, but it wasn't my, 72. Um, it wasn't my candidate. <laughs> <laughs> and my father was a big McGovern fan. Anyway, McGovern lost everywhere except Massachusetts. But um, so, but anyway, that was sort of, I guess, the beginning of working on, um, in some sort of constructive way on politics, but I went to a lot of, we would go to marches in Washington. My father took um, my little sister and in 70, I guess, or 72 um, on the bus to Washington. And um, when my sister and I went with our friends, but anyway, it just felt like not just us, but also our parents were very involved. um, So, uh, I don't know, I guess, but then there was a long time, obviously, between then, like 20 years. And in the meantime, um, I did, I, I think I thought economics would be an important thing to study because it would be about how to change from capitalism to a, a more fair, um, humane system. And, but I wasn't, the fact was, I wasn't really that interested in economics. I was interested in the goals and the ideals, but not really. So I ended up um, sort of combining it with a study of poetry and um, looking at the poetry of the independence movements in, in um, Senegal and, and, um, and other places that had been French colonies. And so looking at poets who actually became leaders went back to their mm. countries during independence movements and then became leaders of their um, countries. And wow. that was a way, I think my real interest was more in literature and poetry, but it was a way of combining them. And wow. Hampshire being Hampshire was all about doing that kind of thing. So, Which, 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 which poets were you focused So Sen- Senghor was yeah, one Senghor. of them yeah. and Césaire was Amy the Césaire. other one. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I'm excited to... I didn't know I didn't about these speak folks. French, which was a, obviously a handicap, but mm. um, but I I enjoyed it a lot and had just really great professors and enjoyed working on it. Um, mm. And then I um, anyway, I'm not going to go into everything that I did, but then I, I do think that I at some point started to see religion as a um, way actually that to organize and to be seeing it not as and in all all kinds of ways moving away from a marxist analysis and and views but um but at one point i was in north carolina um at um studying city planning and there was a group there that was um trying to keep a um highway from going through a um, african-american neighborhood and all the organizing happened through the church and Anyway, that was just an example of like, oh, okay, this actually can be um, a positive thing for mm, um, mm. you know for collective action and and support. And um, 
So, um, and I think for my kids, I just wanted there to be a part of the week that wasn't, that was completely un, um, un, that was quiet and a pause and not about material things and sort of some glimpse into um, silence and spirituality. Mm. And and I feel like that happened also in nature, but, um, Mm. but the church was a way to have that, that time in the week um, in our regular week when we were right here at home. And um, so I, I think I wanted that for them and then I saw the opportunity instead of just like sort of thinking oh I wish I could do something or just being one person doing something that the social action committee was a way to suddenly have you know 20 people doing something together um and especially Victor Carpenter was very inspiring and present Mm -hmm. and came to the meetings and um and Chris, you come to the meetings, which it just makes such a difference, I feel like, to have to know that the church is really behind it. And, you know, it always felt to me central to our church. But but sometimes I don't know. Anyway, it just reinforces that how involved you are in all, all different ways in social action. But um, yeah, I've always found, you know, it's sort of like the first thing to get going in an activated, you know, alive congregation it's like all right who are we beyond our walls and then what is the kind of world we want to build and lucky for us there's some work to do right now Mm. (laughs) oh my goodness Mm. um and you all did such incredible work so you were a big piece of the you you the vote uh effort which i'm forgetting the numbers off the top of my head but wasn't it like there was some goal to send 500,000 postcards or something, right? Like this is the last big election. Yeah. And there was something like 2 million, two and a half million postcards were sent all across the, which is so incredible. I mean, it's to your point before about like how, how these systems of, you know, organizing and so many people were so hungry to do. And yes. So thank you for that. But then I also wonder Right now, you know, Samuel and I have talked to a lot of folks who are just feeling a lot of anxiety right now. You know, there's so much, you know, political violence coming and so Mm. much subterfuge and spin. And I wonder both sort of two questions, like where you as an organizer and as a person, how you're feeling in this moment, and then also how, what you think, you know, we, we can do to to help in this moment yeah i um i feel i don't feel i mean i feel like i've been so lucky to be at the church and be able to very easily become an organizer i don't feel like i have a that i can claim to be a community organizer in my life but i do um, I do so appreciate how much people responded when I think it was just kind of the right moment and just reaching out and suddenly 80 people were, you know, sending postcards. And then with Catherine Bonfilio, who's just amazing, um, she mm. is an amazing organizer and also just um, just a very um hard worker and and with Laura anyway it just the three of us sort of with great 
ease, were able to sort of get this thing going that worked. And and I do believe it has a difference. And it obviously doesn't feel like enough, but it but it did feel we the what I thought was really important about what we did was that we didn't sort of try to reinvent the wheel and we reached out to reclaim our vote, which was um a group that worked um in voter suppression states. So um and um that was run by African Americans who came from the areas where they were reaching out to people. So it didn't feel like it both felt like we were not starting from scratch where we didn't need to, but it also felt like we were deferring to the people who live in those communities and can say like, what is useful, what's helpful. And then that we could just plug into that and do what they asked us to do. And I think Mm -hmm. to Catherine and Laura and I, that all felt like the right, approach um yeah, yeah and we're still i just set out sent out something this afternoon because they're now switching to phone banking and so there is an opportunity in the next week if anyone's listening to this <laughs> to do that um phoning which nobody likes very much but um <laughs> desperate times call for desperate measures so um i think um there may be people who are willing to make phone calls um so anyway, it's been great to have that organization. But you had asked, yeah, I don't, I guess I feel like um, I went to law school in the meantime. And, in the meantime. And <laughs> I'm a lawyer between wow. in, the, in the 80s. I went to law uh-huh. school and and I do really believe, I, I really loved law school and I really believe in the constitution. I really believe mm. that voting is a way to, bring about change as opposed to um, revolution. And, you know, I just, I don't know, I guess I became kind of, um, and then I clerked for judges and ended up working for the federal first circuit um, for 25 years. And so it's a system I really want to believe in that change is possible um, by voting and by enforcing the constitution. And so it feels so, um, I don't know. I'm not sure what I can say about how to be hopeful. I, I feel like all the most sort of fundamental things like believing in, you know, the peaceful transfer of power and the, uh, you know, that there can be that elections at least are, are free and fair. And all those things are now, um, under attack and, uh, for a question and then seeing the Supreme Court, you know, seeing them dismantle these precedents with, you know, the Roe v. Wade and then now with the affirmative action cases that were just argued this week. And I don't know. I I don't so anyway, I don't I don't feel really I don't feel either very knowledgeable with a lot of insight and I don't feel very hopeful right now. But I guess I guess I feel like all we can do is try to um, combat voter suppression and try to um, try to support um, the work that are the good work that some elected officials are doing and to try to pay attention and call things out and to um, to just mm. not be complacent and um, 
and then hope that this time passes. Um, but yeah. uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm sorry. That's not. Very, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's no. super it's, I definitely don't think it's time to stop doing things or give up. Right. Yeah. I definitely don't yeah. think that. I just feel, I do feel kind of despairing right now. Mm. My daughter point. last night wanted to watch the frozen movies as a, a marathon and by some stroke of the calendar gods i had a bunch of evening time which i usually have meetings so we made a bunch of popcorn and we snuggled up on the couch and you know holding her and and it was a sing-along frozen i don't know if you see these things they have the the lyrics and anyway i mentioned this i forget when probably early pandemic in one of those gajillion videos we created. But in Frozen 2, there's this song that's called Do the Next Right Thing. And it's basically just that. Like she's in the middle of a dark night of the soul sort of moment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's worth a Google and worth a watch. But the whole point is like, especially in times like these, there's just the next thing, you know, and right now it's, this conversation with you and then there's going to be some dinner to make for my children. And then there's going to be this Sunday and there's always these next uh, invitations, these next possibilities, because it can get just overwhelming if you just Mm. take in the whole mess of everything. And so, um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a, it's a complex moment that we're facing. And it takes real courage, Priscilla, to, keep going in the face of despair you say you're feeling despair but you're still going and you're doing this great work i think yeah yeah that's tough i feel i feel i'm not sure i don't feel courageous necessarily but i feel like the only thing that makes me feel better and this has always been true about climate change for the last 10 years or so is doing something and that you know that is like part of the reason that I do it and as well as believing that it makes a difference, but it also mm. is the thing that makes me, makes my despair less, I guess, or as a way of addressing the despair. And Yeah. You know, we do the, like you said, the green, the FCB green team have been doing wonderful work deep, deep, deep in the weeds of how we can be, you know, net zero in the next many years as soon as possible and so it's partly that it's partly you know let's support the sustainable harvest and let's travel to see alternative you know farm strategies in the jungles of belize like let's do it all Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's a complex one and sustainable belmont that does great work and i think quite a number of people from our church are part of that organization too which is wonderful yeah um so yeah so did you as many times um we also invite if any people have questions for either samuel or i really on anything um do you have any Um, questions yeah well i feel like chris i feel like i know more about your religious background but Sam, I don't really know that much about yours and also how you came to leave England and move or whether you've 
feel like you're going to stay here and what that change has been like and what you're, whether you are a Unitarian or whether, you know, how you came to this job. Yeah, those are great questions. Well, I grew up um, an atheist, a very, um, a pretty militant one, you know, sort of growing up in an atheist family in a country where the majority of the population, I think, identifies atheists. So it's very, you know, Britain is a very secular culture. And um, I, I guess as I, I, I come to religion generally and Unitarian Universalism more specifically from kind of two directions simultaneously, one of them is um, um, I had the wonderful opportunity as part of my higher education in, in, in literature of being a teaching assistant for a course at Yale on the Bible as literature. This is many years ago, and it was with a lovely professor of literature at, at Yale named Leslie Brisman, and I was his TA. And uh, it was, and this was a revelation to me. I mean, with a small R, revelation. Um, it was reading the the biblical books, uh, both Old and New Testaments, and looking them through a kind of literary lens, and thinking how they worked poetically, how they worked narratively, that kind of thing. And um, just the richness of the of the Bible was was something that I've held on to, and I and I'm now fascinated by the Bible, um, and by Scripture more generally, and by how it's created, how it's written, how it works, um, and and that sort of that sort of fed into sort of becoming interested in the connection between religion and poetry more generally than just in you know the Christian and Jewish scriptures. You know what is the connection between um, spirituality, the life of the spirit, the whole person, um, ritual, all of these kind of religious ideas. What is connection between those and and poetry? Um I read I read in a scholar that I quite like somewhere he writes um that Marx was wrong when he said that uh, religion is the opiate of the people because really religion uh, is the poetry of the people. Mm. And I always come back to that and that seems That's to me so on- lovely. Exactly. And on on many levels, I find that to be true on many levels. I mean, in things like um, often when people write poetry who are not poets, but just regular people in their own in the context of their own lives, they feel that they find there is some occasion on which they feel the need to put pen to paper or whatever and to write a poem. And often what emerges from that is something which is quite like religion in the sense that it is a poem about a rite of passage. Maybe their child has just been born or their parent has just died, or they've just got married, or they're trying to mark an occasion and 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 kind of um, solemnize it mm. by writing poetry, and 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 that's what you know uh, that's what that's what religion is also for. It's for solemnizing and acknowledging and and sort of granting the due importance and weight to moments of of rites of pa- you know mm. rites of passage in our lives. And so there's this deep kind of organic connection between the life of the imagination in in poetry and in the other arts um and in religion. So that's that that's sort of that's sort of one side of it. The other side yeah. of it is a bit more banal, which is um that uh, in the course of my literary studies, I took a long hiatus from my studies for health reasons um and was sort of struggling back, you know, back into the world of work and into the world of trying to study again from from this multi-year period of not being able to do very much because I was very ill. And um, I, I I started attending the UU congregation in Center City, Philadelphia, where I was then living. 
and was em- embraced by that congregation during a very hard time in my life. The minister there, Abby Tennis, was extremely warm and compassionate and sympathetic at a time in my life when I really needed that. And um, I was persuaded to move back to my 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 university town to both pick up my dissertation and 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 get the degree that I deserved in my in my lapse literary studies, and to apply for jobs at UU congregations where mm-hmm. I could where I could have both of these things. I could have my studies and I could I could fund them by deepening my connection to UU and and to uh, serving and and that's what's that's what happened and and i'm i'm so, so happy with this, and i'm and i'm so yes. happy that i have both of these things it's like the best yes. possible combination to have you know so yeah and so, we're so lucky yeah <laughs> that yeah i love what you said about poetry and um i i kind of feel like that is my family's religion i feel like for i mean not just my own family but my parents my mother was um got a phd in English literature as an adult and Mm. wrote her thesis on Seamus Heaney's poetry um, and loved Mm. Keats and other poets. But, um, and my dad learned ancient Greek and has always loved Homer. And so Mm. I feel like from, you know, that was sort of the consistent thread of spirituality was through um, poetry rather than religion in our family. And I feel that very much too, that connection and, um, yeah, and I love all the poetry that are in the services, and um, but also for what both of you were saying about having studied about Jesus and studied the Bible as literature, and anyway, those are both things that I would be really interested in taking a course in if it was mm. ever offered. And I know that oh, our yeah. church isn't, you know, we don't read sections from the Bible in the services, and but I. Um, anyway, I have a lot of interest in, and that was something I learned more about at the temple. Um, I just think it's really not its doctrine or, you know, but just, yeah, I just yeah, think yeah. No, it'd be fascinating. it's interesting and beautiful in parts. And anyway, I would love if, like, if Sam, you were ever wanting to teach a course on the Bible as literature, I would love to. No, well, I'm, not, would I'm not qualified to teach. to teach that course, but I would love to take it. So maybe we can find <laughs> someone. Well, yeah. And, yeah, we can definitely, you know, find find people yeah. and, and bring them in. I've I've often thought it would be fun to do um, some kind of scripture class where we also do like a survey of sort of world religions and core mm. core scriptures and be able to dip a toe into a lot of things. So yeah, yes, super fascinating. Yeah, can, do I have time to ask you a question? Or sure. are we? Of course, no, 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 we're good. Um, I just wondered what if you weren't. A minister, what would you what would you be? Like what is is there something else that you would want wow. to be a second? Well, I'm 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 sort of uniquely qualified for this very particular job, right? Like it's really a <laughs> whole lot of things that I'm kind of good at and love. But there was a discernment time way back in the day. I mean, I'm one of these, I was very clear when I was in high school that this was going to be my path. But bef- wow. as I was deciding that. Well, I preached my first sermon at like 18, lots of quotes, wow. lots of quotes, but still technically <laughs> a sermon that I stood in front of people and shared. Um, but as I was discerning, both of my parents uh, were professors. And so teaching's always been a big part of, of my life. And, and I've taught a lot of different contexts. And so I was, I was actively thinking about teaching, but I also actually wondered about law. 
And so I thought about being a lawyer also, but I think I was, I just, Perry Mason, I really liked that show, Perry Mason. (laughs) And I think somehow it dawned on me that the law had a whole lot of other parts of it that weren't just performing in a trial (laughs) escape. So so yeah, I'm I'm pretty much here on earth to do this. So I'm sure I could do a lot of things. You You know, I was the massage therapist before this. Very compelling argument before a jury, I bet. Right, exactly. (laughs) And I'm sure it could have, but... But this yeah. was, you know, always uh, a unique constellation of lots of stuff that I love. And now, you know, 17 years into it, I I really appreciate a lot that I had no idea about, like the institution building and and really kind of partnering with partnering with teams of volunteers to to really build lasting, thriving institutions, which is something I had no idea about even being part of ministry when I started so long ago. Um, but definitely is, is now one of my favorite parts. Um, so yeah, but I'm, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff I could do if I needed to, but, um, but yeah, I, I quite like this. I also almost jumped ship and became a UCC minister when I was in seminary. I was like, really? I, I, I had this moment where I was like, do you know, cause I'm born and raised Unitarian Universalist. So I never mm. even really questioned and almost the vast majority of my colleagues in seminary had converted to Unitarian Universalism. Mm. So, you know, deepening with them, I was like, God, have I never even, and I went and took a class in UCC Polity, which is just the driest, the most boring (laughs) possible. And in those classes, I looked around and I was like, oh, Oh, so it's like all about Jesus? Right, right, right. Never mind, never mind. Sorry, 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 sorry. sorry. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty early on. But it was great. It was great to have questioned it and then, yes. you know, come back yeah, full yeah. steam. So, yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's, well, it's really wonderful. And and we are, we're so grateful for for all that you've done and continue to do. And, um, and yeah, this was super fascinating. I love how, sort of ended and came back to Mark's. It was really nice, like sort of tidy. (laughs) Everything comes back to Mark. And I love, I'll remember that always about poetry. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thanks so much. And thanks everybody for tuning in again. And we will be back um, with another podcast real soon. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for coming. Yeah. It was lovely lovely talking to you, Priscilla. It was lovely.